November 16th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Ein Het Amud Aleph. If you count from the top, bottom of the Amud, 11 lines up, the first word on the line. Says the Gemara, Ve'amar Rava. If you recall, and we're really concluding this sort of conversation and discussion about Terefa. Terefa is a, a circumstance where we've been talking about humans. For a moment or two, we'll talk about animals. Uh, where uh, because of some bodily damage, because of some vital organ which was severed or pierced, the individual, the person, or the animal is going to die based on our medical and scientific knowledge within 12 months. Now, the status of a person who's a terefa, we've talked about a bunch earlier on the Amud, it's not a regular situation. Uh, there's particularly difficulties with regards to testifying about a person who's a terefa. After all, if you were to testify together with another person against someone else who's a terefa, effectively you're testifying, halachically speaking, the terminology we say is about a dead man walking. It's called gavra ketila, and as a result, both your action to that person, if you're horeget terefa, or a terefa sheharag, or a testimony about the terefa sheharag, is all very difficult. We envision that circumstance as hard to really deal with in the court of justice of Jewish law because specifically with regards to the last one, Terefa Sheharag, the witnesses are going to be considered what's called, again, You can't do to the witnesses. They don't have the threat of uh, the punishment of doing to them that which they conspire to do. After all, they're testifying about a person who, halakhically speaking, is a dead man walking. How are you going to make them die while they're dead men walking? They're not dead men walking. It's what we call eiduchi iatayachol hazimah, the difficulties incurred thereof in the Gemara. But now the Gemara... No. No, we're going to... Of course, the question is, can we put him to death? We can't. Of course, we're going to... The next sugya, the next sugya, uh, right after this one, will bring up this concept, which is found in the Torah in at least two places, of jail, of incarceration. There's no question that under many circumstances, that's what we're going to have to do, and that's what we would do. Uh, You need to take the threat off the streets. You need to deal with it accordingly. But in terms of Torah law, you can't put him to death. You can't accept the testimony. Says the Gemara, Ve'amar Rava, Shor Terefa Sheharag. If uh, not the human being, but the animal itself is Terefa, which means to say, uh, you know, for argument's sake, if you slaughtered the animal, you couldn't eat from it. It's what's called Taref. But in this circumstance, instead of you slaughtering it and trying to eat from it, the terefa, an ox, which is the terefa, kills a human being. Now the Torah tells us that if it's a shor, that's a, what we call mu'ad. It's mitemol uh, shilshom, it several times has gored in the past and killed. The halakha is, it's niskal, you, we stone, we kill that animal which damaged. Uh, what about the fact that it's a terefad? Does that change anything? The answer is no. Hayav, in this circumstance, the betin, the testimony is accepted, and we kill the shor. It's not a human being that you're testifying about. You're testifying about the property of a human being, ultimately speaking. And as a result, we say that human being loses his property, which is the shore. But the shore is a dead animal walking. We don't care about the fact that it's a dead animal walking. It's property which damaged. It could be inanimate uh, property which damaged. We don't have to have a life at all. We look at the owners and we say, we're going to take that ownership away from you and we're going to kill it and, and remove it. 
hundred percent. That's the Torah. That's Parashat Mishpat. That's the statement of Rava. You're just echoing Rava, Charlie. The Torah says if it's a Shor Mu'ad, it gets killed. Rava says, what if the animal is a Shor Mu'ad, which is a Terefa? Maybe that'll t- change our reality. After all, if it's a Terefa, Sheharag, when it's a human being, we don't kill the human being. Says Rava, we don't distinguish. But why not? You're testifying about an animal which is already dead. The answer I'm explaining is you're not testifying per se about the animal which is already dead. You're testifying about the object which belongs to a human being. And even if that object had no life to it, you're still getting it off the streets by killing it. And as a result, says Rava, Shor Terefasharag Hayav. What about Veshor Shil Adam Terefasharag? What about if the human being is a terefa. He owns an object, he owns a, uh, an animal, a, a shor, an ox, which goes out and unfortunately gores a person to death, but the person himself is a terefa. In that circumstance, patur. We say that there's no liability. Why so? Why should you distinguish? Uh, who cares about the human being, the owner of that object, of that animal? Ultimately speaking, the animal killed. My ta'ama, amar kera, the pasuk says in the Torah, hashor yisakel, Period. Says the Gemara, says the Rava, the explanation to, the, to why when a, a, a Terefa owns a shor, which goes ahead and gores a person, bringing them to their death. The reason you don't kill the animal in that situation is because, strictly speaking, I repeat, strictly speaking, we'll explain what that means in a second, the Torah and Parashat Mishpatim says, if the ox does go and gore a human being, again, and it's a Shor Mu'ad, it did it already more than once, the animal is stoned to death, vigam, and furthermore as well, be'alav yumat, the owner is killed. Hold that for a second. Don't get angry about that yet. Now, says Ravader, that's called a hekesh. The pasuk equates, seemingly, the animal to the owner. Stating to us, when is it that the animal gets killed? When the owner could get killed. Over here, the owner, owner is a terefa. Technically speaking, as Jeffrey made clear yesterday, we're dealing with a loophole in the system. It's true, it's so, but ultimately speaking, the owner is a terefa. He's going to die within 12 months. You can't testify about the owner in order to bring about his death. And as a result, you can't testify about the animal to bring its death as well. Oh, hold up a second. Are you telling me that if I were to own an ox which gores a person and kills, I would get killed? Is that really the Torah law? Strictly speaking, that's what the Torah says. Elsewhere, the Chachamim understand the Torah makes clear afterwards, right afterwards, Vim yushat the Torah says you can pay a ransom amount, which means to say the Torah effectively says, you get mitah bideshamayim. When the Pasuk says, Vegam be'alav yumat, it's technically speaking telling us, not actually going to be put to death by Betin, you're going to get mitah bideshamayim. That's clear, it's explicit in the text, your animal went and gored. What are you yourself going to do based on that? Well, you're going to lose the animal, but furthermore, you're going to pay what's called kofir. We're going to evaluate either your life or that person's life if they or you were sold as a slave on the market, and that's what you're going to pay in addition 
to losing your animal to the uh, inheritors of that person who died. But for our purposes, the Gemara therefore says, Rava's statement is, if it's a shor shel terefa sheharag, the halacha is patur. Patur means you don't kill the animal. Why are we not killing the animal? The only time we'd kill the animal is if we could kill the human being. Since the human being is a terefa, the owner, can't testify about the owner in order to have him killed under any circumstance, so to the animal you can't either. Ravashi. We do. We saw earlier in the Gemara. If the terefa in front of Betin uh, killed a person. So you don't need to accept testimony then because the Betin are just acting based on their knowledge and their side of what, was, what, what took place. Then they'd kill. But it's specifically and only the Torah told, the Gemara told us because the Torah teaches which means to say that specifically because the Betin has an obligation to remove evil from your midst, that's why you put him to death. You're not putting him to death as a human being. It's a strange so thing, right? They can't put him to death. They can't put him to death unless it's in front of 23 as Beitin. And as Judah pointed out to me afterwards yesterday, I should have been clear. Tosafot makes clear as well. And during the day. It needs to be they saw it and they're judging it on the spot. Because if it's the next day, you're already dealing with testimony. So that's the only circumstance wherein you'd kill. But again, that's the statement over here. You might ask, and it's an important question, what about a shor shel terefa? which we just said is patur, what if it killed lifne betin? Again, we talked yesterday about a terefa sheharag lifne betin. Today we talked about a shor shel terefa sheharag. What about a shor shel terefa sheharag lifne betin? It's a mahloka between harambam and ra'avad. It's a question over there of whether you'd kill or not. That's right. You're not killing the person. Of course, the person is a terefa. That's an important question. So on the one hand, you'd argue you kill the shor because it's a bi'atahara mikirbecha. On the other hand, as Jared pointed out, this is the way the Mefarshim over there explain Harambam, is uh, maybe ubi'atahara mikirbecha is not about societal threats in terms of nature and animals, in terms of human beings. Hara means people who are ra. That's why Betin has an obligation to kill, even without testimony. That's the debate over there. All right, I hope none of this uh, takes place in our lives. I uh, certainly don't think any of us are owning uh, oxen anytime soon. Ravashi afilu shor terefa patur. Ravashi goes back to the initial statement we had today. We had two statements of Rava. The first statement was shor terefa. Not that the owner is terefa, but the animal itself is terefa. Ravashi told us, excuse me, Rava told us quite clearly shor terefa shaharag hayav. We explained it. The owner is not terefa, the animal is terefa. You remove the animal, that's where you're, you're dealing with this. Says Ravashi, it's not so. My ta'ama, why not? Why don't you kill the animal when the animal is terefa? He extends this hekesh, this linking in the pasuk of the owner and the animal even further. He says, again, if the animal were a terefa, what would the halakha be? Certainly you're not killing. So the fact that they're, an- that, that's the owner's, the fact that the owner's animal is a terefa, if the owner were a terefa, I should have said, you're not killing them. 
right? Because it's terefa sheharag. So therefore, even though the owner is not terefa, but the fact that their animal is terefa, the hekesh extends that far to tell us that the status of the animal is identical to the status of the owner. But the owner is not a terefa. But if the owner were a terefa, what would the halacha be? Now you don't kill him. So too says Ravashe, you don't kill the animal when it's a terefa. <laughs> according to according to Rav Ashe. Now Tosafot questions this in the bottom Tosafot. Tosafot says the Gemara and Masechet Bava and Mem Dalet has that we derive laws with regards to intentionality. If it was Nitkaven we learn laws from the human being to the animal. Why don't we learn this from the human being to the animal according to Rava? In other words, Rav Ashe is quite a good claim. Rav Ashe's claim is look at the animal and the human being, and equate them, see them as similar. Tosafot says, well, it's not really the same thing over here. Uh, it says, says He says, over there in the circumstance where we equate the animal, according to the Bishimon and the, and the owner, it's, it's an equivalent reasoning. What's the reasoning with regards to both of them? If you didn't have intentionality, it's not, con- it's not considered a wrongdoing to the extent the Torah is going to punish you. But over here, Be'adam, over here, the only reason, let's remember, a human being who's a terefa is patur, is because you can't testify about them. The animal, you have no such issue. In other words, the hekesh only goes so far as the logic dictates we can equate them. We don't just say, oh, if the human being were like that, so the animal needs to be, no, 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 if the human being's like that, what's the reason? If the reason is because he needs intention, so you say, but the animal as well, the animal needs intention. If the reason is because he can't testify about the human being, but you could testify about the animal, that would be the counterclaim of Rava. All right, when all the dust settles, what we addressed in that Gemara and the Gemara earlier, many of the halachot with regards to terefa, we talked about goses bideh shemaim, goses bideh adam. We need to just finish the conversation with regards to this Mishnah before we move on to the next one. And the last detail in our Mishnah, if you recall, was in a circumstance where there's a nahash or a kelev. Let's focus on nahash. Nahash, of course, is a snake. If a snake is um, provoked by a person, by the owner, let's say, to go and sting or bite another person, which ultimately spe- speaking brings to that person's death, lo'alenu. In such a situation, the owner is not liable. The person who provoked the snake is not liable. We consider that indirect. The owner, the person who provoked the snake, got them going, uh, enticed them to go after this person, they didn't actually kill the person. They sent this snake through their actions to kill the person. That's what we call girama. However, said the Mishnah at the end, he kishboetanahash. Well, if you took the snake and you opened its mouth, clamped it down onto the person's body, their limb, their, their, their arm, their leg, their stomach, whatever it is, and by so doing, again, I don't know, it's a very uh, audacious person, opens the mouth of the snake and then closes it, kills the person. How direct is that? Rabbi Uda said the Mishnah says, Hayav. Hachamim say, even their patur. What sort of debate is that? What's the conversation? What's their disagreement? The Gemara explains it for us over here. Shisabu atakele v'chule. We're now about seven lines from the bottom. Amara v'ha bar Yaakov l'kishetimse l'omar l'divrei Rabbi Yehuda eres nahash ben shinav hu omed l'fichach makish b'saif v'nahash patur. L'divrei hachamim eres nahash me'atzmo hu meki l'fichach uh, the explanation of the Gemara, Rabbi Harbar Yaakov, goes as follows. 
the mahloket, the dispute between the biudan hachamim has to do with reality. It's rare that the Gemara will do this. Generally speaking, when the Gemara has a dispute, we don't want to say they're just disagreeing about what's the natural reality, because we say, go out and check it, and then we wouldn't have a dispute, and the rabbi certainly would have checked it. From time to time, there's no other way to explain the mahloket other than saying it's mahloket, the Hebrew word we use is in misiut. They, discuss, they, dis, they debate and they disagree about what the reality is. What's the discussion? What's the disagreement? About how a snake which has a venom uh, poisons a person. Is the venom, the eris ben shinav huomed, which means to say it's kind of like just a pocket in between those front teeth and you close it down as a human being on another human being and you're effectively injecting them with, uh, with, the, with the poison. That's Rabbi Uda's opinion. Rabbi Uda says there's nothing on the side of the mind or the instincts of the snake that bring about this poison into the person by the person who's the damager, the person who's killing, opens up the mouth, uses it exactly like a weapon, imagine it like an arrow with, some, with a pointy edge or some poison on the edge. Effectively, what you're doing is you're injecting the person using the snake as a weapon. Hachamim disagree. Hachamim's understanding, I guess, of the anatomy or the way of uh, venom uh, with regards to snakes is altogether different. Their claim is that when uh, the mouth closes, when the teeth sink into a person, it's then the snake, maki literally means to regurgitate, means to throw up. But what it means for our purposes over here is the snake then purposefully or instinctively, whatever it is, injects it. So it's a little bit removed. And as a result of it being removed, say, hachamim, you're patur, not that you can do it, not that you're a good person if you did it, not that we're not going to treat you harshly, but we can't give you death penalty of saif as a roseach because it's gerama. So doesn't matter, doesn't matter. Just like all our cases earlier of Gerama, it's not because there's a lower probability, it's less of you. Says the Gemara again, let's just... Patur. The understanding is that the arrow and the gun... But it's a bit more removed. It's the brain or the instincts of the of the snake, which through your word went ahead and did it. You're giving, you're giving them the, technically the animal, the, the thing, they could say no, in a sense. Or they might not, they the, might not do it. No, in other words, Jeff is bringing the... Okay, okay. Even, I, I don't think you... you in other words, you're suggesting... All of you are suggesting... Right, but what you're suggesting is that the logic that underlies Gerama is that it, it's not 100%. I don't know. I, the way I understand it is it's less direct. Ligro means to cause as opposed to be direct. So it's true, there's very little other than the way you're, but there's very little, but there is something that distinguishes the difference between sending the dog or shooting the bullet. Shooting the bullet is, we can see that as the extension of my body. You, you, you articulate that as saying, because now it's certainly going, as opposed to the dog. Again, even if I had the dog programmed to listen to me, but it's still not direct, unless it's actually, you know, a robotic one. But anyway, says the Gemara, let me just read that through again. According to the Biuda, here would be the logic, the rationale. The poison, the venom of the snake, ben shinav omed. it stands in between the teeth. Therefore, makish. The person who clamps down the uh, the snake is besaif, gets killed 
as a murderer in Betin, Vinahash, but on the other hand, the snake itself, Patur, the Nahash didn't do anything, the Nahash was a weapon. In contrast, the way we're posek, like the majority of Pinahachamim, Eres Nahash Me'atzmohu Miki. The Nahash, the serpent, on its own, of its own volition, um, that's how it comes about. It has its own brain. It's separate from the owner. I guess you do have to inject. He's explaining, he's explaining a little clearer. He's saying that it, uh, after having pierced the victim's flesh, that's why. That's when it comes out, which means it's less direct, 100%. First the teeth, and then it injects it. And it's similar to our situation. You provoked the animal, then it went after it, as opposed to you shot, and it's direct. That's the way to say it, why it's less direct. It's a step removed. Therefore, according to the Hachamim, Nahash biskila, the Nahash will be considered as an independent entity like the Shoshen Agah, and it gets put to death, biskila, by being stoned. The Hamakishon, the person who claims it down, Patur, not that they can do it, but that they're not liable because because it's considered geramah. It's It's a step removed, just like it's automatic when I a person pushes someone into the bull, removes the uh, ladder or removes the shield after shooting. It's going to happen. Everybody knows it's going, but it's less direct. It's enough. The chandelier in the ceiling, and then it falls. One of those kind of things. The shoot the Agreed. That's what we talked about in the Gemara. That's Kohsheni. It's a step removed. Uh, nobody wants you doing that, but we're not, not you, but anyone who did that would not be put to death. According to the Hachamim, according to the Biuda. The reason that Ahash. No, no, anything. Um, the, the reason Nahash is specific in particular over here is according to the Bihuda, you can be fully liable because we'll see it as direct. Otherwise, no, anything. Says the Mishnah onward, If a person strikes another, whether with a stone, by striking them with the stone, or even throwing the stone at them, or alternatively with their fist, and after striking the other person, the person who was struck um, is evaluated, says Rashi, by, by hands of Betin. The evaluation is done by Betin. They look at this person and they determine, even though he's still alive, he's going to die. And it's because of the force of the strike, the blow of that person to him. But then, then the situation gets better. And then after the situation repaired itself and got better, it got worse again. And then he ultimately speaking dies. Again, the Bedin after the initial blow or blows determines this person's going to die because of the strike from this man. But then the situation gets better. And we redetermine that this guy's doing all right and he's going to live. Then, for some reason, it gets worse again. Do we now determine that the reason it got worse again is really traced back to the initial strike and blow? Hayav, says the hachamim, say the hachamim in such a circumstance. Yes, indeed, the fact that there was an original, initial umdina limita makes this person liable if there's an ultimate death. They're ready, they're ready to, uh, if he's going to, the determined going to die, they're already sentencing him to death, no? No, not until his death. 
Yeah, that's he's gonna be that. That's that's what I. That's why I mentioned this because that the Gemara in this context, in this context, the Gemara is going to, to, to going to bring up this idea of, of imprisoning a person. We wait in order to determine what happened. We're not allowed to kill until he actually, or even sentenced to death until he actually dies. We'll incarcerate. We'll lock him up until we determine the actual case. But we wouldn't sentence him. Obviously, this time that's going to last between, let's say, hypothetically, someone hits, person A hits person B, there's damages that occur. You have to have the... Of course. Of course. You have to have the uh, baby oh. apply for damages. No question. Say, all the time, he's going to die from that. No question. So if this... I've, uh, you're gonna, he's going to be jailed. You're then going to redetermine. You're going to have the doctors come out and determine if it's you because of the second guy. No, no, that's the machlok of Biuda and Chachamim, where everyone agrees if it's Bevatahat, both Biuda and Chacham, Biuda, Bimitera, and Chachamim agree that there's no Hiyuv Mita. You'll never have a Hiyuv Mita on two people for one action, one, one, one action. I guess two. No, you're going to wait until you're, you're going to keep him incarcerated. You're going to be medically repairing him. Ultimately speaking, you're going to determine if he died, he's not liable for paying the damages. He's going to be liable to death penalty. If he doesn't die, then that's the case in the Torah. He needs to pay for shevet. He needs to pay for ripu. He needs to pay for damages. That's the way it's going to be. Says, says the Mishnah, Rabbeinu Hamyal, man, disagreeing with the Hachamim, Rabbeinu Hamyal says, Patur. In such a circumstance, since after the initial umdina, original evaluation, he was found to be, uh, well, he's going to die. But then they redetermined that he's going to live. It was a better situation. He's patur now. The fact that he ultimately speaking dies is not on the head, on, not on the account of the first person. Shiraglaim ladava. Shiraglaim ladava literally means there's feet to the matter, which means to say the evidence is on the ground. The fact that we saw this person get better made the first person gave him a clean slate. Of course, he's going to have to pay monetary damage and all that sort of business and, and medication bills, but he's not liable for death penalty. That's going to be a claim. Yeah, interestingly, Rashi goes out of its way to say again, bedin. That's an interesting statement of Rashi, because you'd imagine it's going to. It's 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 it, the the mefarshim do debate. I'm not familiar with the whole discussion, but I, as I recall, there is a debate and a conversation. I'm sure it's in the footnotes in the art scroll um, as to uh, why Rashi writes betin. It's it's strange that he writes betin, because oftentimes. When we talk about Ripui, when we talk about Rifuat, it's not per se the Betin. And again, it might, might be nothing more than Betin based on a medical evaluation. But why does he go out of his way to say that? All right, anyway, it says the Gemara, Tanura Banana Beraita. We're going to deal with these two opinions, but we're going to start with the second opinion, that of Rabbi Nehemia. Again, Rabbi Nehemia is the one who argued, the rabbi who argued in the Mishnah, that in the circumstance where there was an original Umdina Limita, but then he got better, even though he dies afterwards, he's Patushar Agla. 
Yerushalayim Ladavar. Tanu Rabbanan Edzo Darash Rebbeinu Hamya. This was the Dirasha of Rebbeinu Hamya. So here's the Pesukim. Pesukim are in Parashat Mishpatim. The Pasuk says if a person strikes another, Be'even or Be'egrof, like our Mishnah, with his hand or with a stone. And then, Nafalim Mishkav, the person falls into, uh, he has to lie down in bed, he's uh, out of commission. Continue the Pesukim and they say, Im Yakum if he then gets up and walks outside, al mishanto. There's two ways of reading those words, but let's just say he's he's healed, or maybe he's still leaning on someone. Vinika hamake says the pasuk. Then the person who struck him is cleansed. He's not liable. Let me repeat to you the circumstance in the Torah. Keep in mind, the Torah is not teaching us matters which are straightforward and easy to understand. It's telling you a chidush. If a person strikes another person, whether with his fist or with a stone, and then he falls into bed and is you know, in the hospital, let's say those words, but then he gets up and he walks out on the street and he's doing better, oh, he has to pay and he's not liable for death. Why would he be liable for death? If I ever struck a person, but they don't die, would I ever, could anyone come up to me and say, oh, Rabbi, are you liable for that? Why am I liable for that? I didn't do anything. I mean, I obviously I have to pay the money for everything I did wrong with regards to the bodily damage and the therapeutic charges and all that sort of business. Why does the Torah need to say, Why does the Torah need to tell you that the person who struck is cleansed? Of course he's cleansed. The person's walking around alive. You think I'm going to lose my life because of that? Vechita ale. Thank you, Nathan. Oh, thanks for blowing it. Did you even think? This guy who was struck is now walking around the marketplace. And the initial person who struck him is going to get killed. Rather, the case must be, says Rabbi Nehemiah, it's got to be more complicated. There has to be more details before and after that don't meet the eye. What would the before and after be? Well, Nathan told us it's our Mishnah, says Rabbi Nehemiah. It's that there was an initial evaluation that he would die. He then is walking around on the street, and then the last detail, which is left out of the Torah's uh, law, uh, law section here in Mishpatim, and then he ultimately speaking dies. Says the Torah, I gotcha, I gotcha. It's, it's so far distant with regards to the details, but that's been Hamya's reading. The case must be they determined that he was going to die. And then it got uh, lighter. In other words, he was doing okay. He's walking around. He's, uh, he's progressing in life. And afterwards, it got heavy again. His sickness, his ailment, umet. The Torah in that situation, according to Nehemiah, is telling you, Shehu Patur. He's Patur. Says, says the, says the Beraita. What do the Hachamim respond? Again, keep in mind, that's Rabbi Nehemiah defending his opinion. We saw it in the Mishnah. Very often the Beraita will supplement the reason or the sourcing for the Mishnah. So our Mishnah had a statement. Versus Hachamim in a circumstance of Amadu Lumita, Vehekal, Veazmet. What's the halacha? Says Rabbi Nehemiah, that's the case in the Torah, Verabanan. And Hachamim, how do you read this pasuk? Vinhai, this these words, Maidarshebe. How do they doresh? What do they derive from those words? After all, you can't read it in the most simple sense. It's extra words in the Torah. The Torah didn't need to tell you vinikahamake. Of course he's cleansed. Of course he's not being put to death. I didn't kill anyone. Why would I get killed? Milamed, say the hachamim, the hidush over here in the Torah is shehovshinoto. Say the hachamim. You want to know what the Torah is teaching you when it says vinikahamake? It's telling you not your far-fetched case, Rabbi Nehemiah. It's quite a simple case. The situation is if a person struck another 
and we're uncertain whether that person who was struck will die or not. We have an initial evaluation, it looks like he will die. Chovshinot means to incarcerate, means to imprison. We imprison that person and we wait until the person who was struck is out back in the streets, progressing in life. And then the nikah is a way the Torah tells you, and now let him out. So those extra words are not so extra after all. They're teaching you how the Beit Din, how the, Binaka, the, the Torah court is supposed to deal with matters. Says the Gemara, you don't agree to that? Don't you agree there's the idea of incarceration in order to bring forth proper judgment? You're going to need to imprison until you determine the situation. Where do you derive this idea of havisha, of imprisoning, of locking up a person until you determine the situation? Yalif mimekosh. The Binehamya, the Gemara says, would learn it from Mekoshesh. Who's the Mekoshesh? The Torah in Bimidbar Perik Tedvav, at the end of Parashat Shelach, talks about an individual who was Mekoshesh Etzim on Shabbat. What was he doing? Not fully clear what he was doing. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat and Tzadivav has three opinions as to what he was doing. He was either doing Melechet Hotza'ah, he was moving the branches, moving the trees out, and you know, you're not allowed to carry on Shabbat. Or he was doing Melechet Tilisha, he was uprooting them in some way, he was snipping them off. Or lastly, says the Gemara, he was Me'amir, he was gathering them together, which is a specific Melechah of the 39 as well. Either way, so who was the Mekoshesh? Of course, the well-known opinion is that it was Silo. Of had. Either way you slice it, the Torah says they didn't know how to deal with him. And as a result, Moshe said, you should lock him up until I find out from God what the halakha is. Oh, you see, says, 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 you see, when you don't know exactly what the law is, the Torah is instructing us. That story is not just a story to you know, derive lessons from with regards to how to deal with people in life. It's telling you how to deal with betin. Betin, when you're uncertain what the halakha is, you should hold the person in a prison. What's that? Similar, I mean, all right, it precedes Western law quite a lot. Yeah, anyways, but yet, I mean, I, I think it's a certain truth. I think that's, I'm, I know, it's in the Torah, but I'm saying, I think everyone can relate to this. How else are you gonna, so says the Gemara, okay, I understand there being a Hamya. The reason you say Vinika is being derived, is deriving, we're deriving from it something else, is because Vinika HaMakeh is not for Havisha, and Vinika HaMakeh is for, again, is for this Halakha Ver Mishnah. Where do you learn Havisha? Where do you learn incarcerating? From Mekoshesh. Hachamim, why don't you learn from Mekoshesh? What's the problem with deriving from the Mekoshesh says the Gemara Bar Ketalahu Umoshe Lahavayada Katle Bemai La Fukehai de la Yadinan I Bar Ketalahu Ilav Bar Ketalahu. And say the Hachamim, the reason we can't the reason we can't derive from the Mekoshesh, again, the reason we can't derive from the Mekoshesh, that in all circumstances where Betin is uncertain of what to do, you would imprison, which is the Halakha, no, Jared, even when you don't know at all, is because by Mekoshesh, Moshe knew that you need to put to death the person who's Mekoshesh, it's in the Yom HaShabbat. How do you know so? Shemot Perik Lamedal, if the Gemara will tell us later on, Moshe was well aware, if you're Mechalel Shabbat, you get put to death. He just didn't know what type of death penalty. He finds out it's Sikila. Oh, that's very significant. So over there, the reason he was incarcerated is because you knew the law, you just weren't certain about the details. Oh, you know the guy's getting put to death. There the Torah tells you imprison him. Over here, you don't know the law at all. You're not certain at all. Maybe you don't imprison. That's the statement over here. Uh, Rashi does point out that this
this Gemara has to be going based on the opinion, we're going to see it on Daf Peh, um, that when you warn a person who's about to violate something, you don't need to specify which punishment. Again, the assumption is you need to tell them you will be liable for death penalty if you do this action. Do you need to say as well for the death penalty of Sekilah? Do you need to say as well for the death penalty of Hanek and so forth? Uh, there's an opinion that says you don't. What's that? Maybe you need all experts anytime you're going to give a warning. So, but again, the guy was Mikoshesh, this person was Mikoshesh, and nobody knew the law over here. So how are you going to ever put him to death? It must be that, 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 that this Gemara, according to the Hachamim, is going according to the opinion that the warning is sufficient even when you don't know the particulars of the death penalty. Uh, so the Gemara for our purposes today leaves us with that. Again, a mahlok between bin Hamyan Hachamim, which we'll return to. A mahlok in turn about where to derive the law of Havishav, incarcerating when you're uncertain what to do. We are a little bit hanging right now. Because if you recall, the bin Hamyan is learning it from Mikoshesh. The Hachamim said you can't learn it from Mikoshesh. It's not relevant to our circumstance. We're going to turn back to the bin Hamyan and say to him, so do you disagree with this idea of Havishav, incarcerating, of imprisoning in these sorts of Situations, he's going to have to def- defend himself, which he will.